This is Radio Romania International. You are listening to our one-hour broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa. We can also be heard on the internet at www.ri.ro, Channel 1. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and other social media platforms. Our programs are also available on TuneIn, Radio Romania International 1, and in Europe via satellite Utilsat 16A on 11,512 MHz, vertical polarization, azimuth 16 degrees east. We wish you good reception conditions. I'm Cristina Mateescu with the news. First, the headlines. The Romanian health authorities have declared a state of epidemiological alert as the incidence of respiratory infections passed the average level for the last three seasons for the third week in a row. Foreign Minister Luminița Odobescu is attending the EU Indo-Pacific Ministerial Forum and the EU ASEAN Ministerial Meeting held in Brussels and eight Romanian athletes are taking part in the World Aquatics Championships in Doha, underway until the 18th of February. The Romanian health authorities have declared a state of epidemiological alert as the incidence of respiratory infections passed the average level for the last three seasons for the third week in a row. Health Minister Alexandru Rafila expects the number of cases to go back to normal at the end of the month, saying it won't be necessary to declare an epidemic. He explained that a state of epidemiological alert allows the healthcare system to prepare for a possible increase in the number of cases. Romanian Foreign Minister Luminița Odobescu is today attending the EU Indo-Pacific Ministerial Forum and the EU-ASEAN ministerial meeting held in Brussels. According to a statement from the Foreign Ministry, the forum focuses on the consolidation of cooperation, including aspects related to the implementation of the EU strategy for cooperation in this region. The ministerial meeting will discuss the stage and future of EU's relations with the Association of Southeast Asian Nations following the signing of a strategic partnership in 2020. Today and tomorrow, the Romanian Foreign Minister is attending the informal meeting of EU Foreign Ministers, also held in Brussels. The Romanian Parliament has begun its last by final session before elections. The MPs of the ruling Social Democratic Party and the National Liberal Party aim to pass the bills that form part of Romania's commitments under the National Recovery and Resilience Plan, so that Romania can receive the allocated European funds. Combating drug use and drug trafficking and capping interest rates on loans from non-banking financial institutions are among the priorities of the Social Democrats. The Liberals' agenda features bills on not taxing pensions below 600 euros, combating drug use and drug trafficking and banning advertising for gambling. The Save Romania Union in opposition will again call for eliminating special pensions for the locally elected officials. Also from the opposition, the Alliance for the Union of Romanians will propose bills to raise the minimum wage and cut salary taxes and increase scholarships for pupils. 
The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, has promised measures to support Europe's disgruntled farmers, unhappy with high costs, bureaucracy, strict environmental rules and unfair competition from cheap imports. She said she proposed safeguards on imports from Ukraine, adding, I'm very sensitive to the message that farmers are concerned by administrative burdens. The farmers' dissatisfaction has become an unofficial subject of Thursday's EU summit, amid protests in Brussels, where farmers threw eggs and stones at the European Parliament, started fires and set off fireworks. Eight Romanian athletes, namely five swimmers and three divers, are taking part in the World Aquatics Championships in Doha, underway until the 18th of February. David Popovic, the European champion in the 100- and 200-metre freestyle race, is not taking part. The leaders of the Romanian delegation are Konstantin Popovic, the defending high-diving world champion, and Catalin Preda, the world vice-champion. And now a quick look at the weather. Rain showers are expected around the country, including the capital Bucharest, where it is a wet and cloudy day, with 4 degrees at noon. Around the country, the highs of the day are between 0 and 10 degrees Celsius. And that was the news. The Romanian medical authorities have released an epidemiological alert. I'm Dr. Merasmian with details in this commentary by Stefan Stoica. For the third consecutive week, the incidence of respiratory infections reported in Romania exceeded the average level calculated for the last seasons, and the authorities decided to release an epidemiological alert. The National Public Health Institute reported over 130,000 cases of respiratory infections in just one week, and more than 9,000 cases of clinical flu. The number of diagnosed respiratory infection cases refers to the week of January 22nd to 28th, and the finding is that compared to the same period of last winter, the number of patients is 35% higher. The increase compared to the previous week is 8%. As for the flu cases, the number of patients increased weekly by almost 2,000 and is much higher compared to the same period of last year. However, the situation is better in terms of severe acute respiratory infections, which are now fewer as compared to the previous week and also as compared to last year. The number of deaths caused by the influenza virus has reached 50, the Public Health Institute informed. The Health Minister Alexandru Rafila does not rule out a scenario according to which the cases of illness might reach the maximum level recorded last year. He said that Romania would not face an epidemic because... As their observations show, the maintenance of this upward trend is limited and until the end of February, the number of cases will probably be lower, said the health minister. He pointed out that the epidemiological alerts do not imply restrictions, but only prepare the medical system for a worse situation. Este vorba de a treia săptămână de creștere consecutivă peste nivelul mediu. This is the third consecutive week of growth above the average level recorded in the last five years. It is called epidemic week. We've had two such weeks so far. This is the third one. There is absolutely nothing different from last year's situation. No restrictions are being imposed. It is related to preparing the health system for a greater number of respiratory infections so that we can provide all the necessary resources to the health units, said the health minister, Alexandru Rafila. Apart from the measures recommended in medical units, 
There are recommendations for schools. Those in charge of educational institutions must provide the necessary sanitary materials and inform parents about the symptoms and the importance of keeping children at home if they have signs of respiratory infections. For the population in general, the already known recommendations remain valid. Avoiding crowds, observing hygiene rules, isolation at home in case of illness, use of protective masks if necessary, and last but not least, flu vaccination, especially in the case of vulnerable categories. European leaders have decided that Ukraine will receive 50 billion euros from the EU over the next four years. I'm Elena Yanake with more on this topic in a report by Sorin Titus Jordan. The European Union has approved 50 billion euros in aid for Ukraine over the next four years. The heads of state and government from the EU bloc convened in Brussels decided to grant Kyiv 17 billion euros in the form of grants and 33 billion in the form of loans. Hungary, which has so far opposed additional support for Ukraine, voted in favor this time. The Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who in December 2023 vetoed the financial package, was convinced to change his position, so that European leaders unanimously revised the Union's multi-annual budget, valid until the end of 2027. The budget review, totaling 64.6 billion euros, includes, among others, 1.5 billion for the InvestEU Horizon Europe Innovation Fund and the European Defence Fund. The European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that the approval of the aid package for Ukraine sends a very strong message to Russian leader Vladimir Putin and is a signal for the American partners. Given that a package of approximately $65 billion for Ukraine is blocked in the U.S. Congress since December 2023. On his part, the European Commissioner for Internal Market, Thierry Breton, said that the European Union must make sure that it will increase at a very fast pace the production capacity of its defense industry. He emphasized that what was done in the ammunition production sector must be extended to the entire European military field. We are lucky enough in Europe to be able to do everything in defense, but not always at the right time. So proper defense training is really, shall we say, the paradigm shift that we need to implement throughout our profile industry, said Thierry Breton. We started with ammunition, we made a commitment to make sure that we can improve our production so that we can give Ukraine what it needs, he also said. I, in my position, cannot ensure the delivery of the ammunition to Ukraine, but what I can do is to ensure that the defense industry increases its production capacity, Thierry Breton concluded. The European Commissioner also asked the European Investment Bank to get involved in the financing of the defense industry, because in his view, the institution's role is to support European policies, and currently defense is a crucial element of these policies. The news that the European Union is stepping up its aid to Ukraine was received with relief and gratitude in Kyiv. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky thanked the leaders of the EU countries and emphasized the importance of the fact that the decision belonged to all 27 of them, which, in his opinion, once again proves the strong unity of the EU bloc. Zelensky voiced his belief that this continuation of the EU's financial support will strengthen the country's economic and financial stability in the long term, 
which will allow it to resist Russia's military aggression. And that has been our newscast. Dear friends, the Radio Romania Board of Administrators decided to temporarily suspend the use of two out of the five Radiocom shortwave transmitters that ensure the broadcast of Radio Romania International's programs because of budget cuts. The RRI programs in English are affected. All of them may be received on only one frequency instead of two as of August the 1st. The frequencies, as well as any other prospective changes operated by Radiocom further to reception monitoring and to your feedback on reception quality will be announced in our broadcasts on our webpage and on Facebook. We invite you to follow RRI's programs online at rri.ro, including On Demand, on SoundCloud, on Android and iOS apps, via TuneIn and via Satellite. You can find more details on our homepage. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn and Spotify. Next up in this broadcast, it's Song of the Day. Listen to Liviu Todorescu with his song Throwing Myself. Ținem tu sufletul până când autură spre nicăieri Mă uit în ochii tăi și nu mai am nevoie, nu mai am ce să-ți cer Mă simt așa de hai, de parcă sunt în rai și am superputeri Mi-au avânt purtat de vânt îndrăgostit cu toate că n-am vrut Cu margine de vis, cu vârf de paradis i 
de paradis Cu tine și atât Fă-mi însemn și mă arunc Sunt sigur că o să zbor Mă simt așa ușor Aștept doar un cuvânt Fă-mi însemn și mă arunc You are listening to Radio Romania International The future starts today. Hello, this is Daniel Bill to the microphone. Consisting of a series of individual military drills involving the participation of 50 warships, 80 planes, and over 1,100 combat vehicles. Steadfast Defender 24 is the biggest military exercise since the end of the Cold War. Launched by the North Atlantic Alliance in January, the exercise will show that NATO can conduct and sustain complex multi-domain operations over several months across thousands of kilometers, from the high north to central and eastern Europe, and in any conditions, a NATO press release says. By the end of May, Steadfast Defender 24 is to include several scenarios aimed at proving NATO's capability of strengthening the responsibility area of the Allied forces in Europe. According to US Army General Christopher Cavoli, NATO's Supreme Allied Commander Operations and Head of US European Command, with 90,000 troops from all 31 NATO allies, as well as partner Sweden, participating, the exercise is poised to test and refine NATO's defence plans for reinforcing European defences against a near-peer adversary. Steadfast Defender 2024 will demonstrate our ability to deploy forces rapidly from North America and other parts of the Alliance to reinforce the defense of Europe. The exercise is in fact the first military application of the new concept of regional defense plan and the new NATO forces concept approved last year, political military analyst Claudio De Geratu told Radio Romania. According to the statements, the focus will mainly be on the northern flank, but what's different from the last 20 years is that if NATO has to mount an operation in a fictional scenario on its northern flank, it must ensure the other segments as well. For this reason, all allies are participating in various degrees and will all get involved because the principle NATO promoted in the past two years is to be able to respond to all the challenges along the NATO borders or in the contact zones with the areas posing various risks and threats. There is this concept of 360 degrees defense, so mobilization will be total in all directions, sea, land, and even more than that, it will be introducing the multi-domain approach, which means several integrated domains, including that of cyber defense, which is going to be tested on this occasion. There have been several concerns in the past year 
so as not to be limited to the conventional military domain, but also that of spatial and cyber defense. I believe the cyber sector will be in the forefront. Maybe some allies who have capabilities in the space field, such as the USA and not only, will have a significant contribution in the area. They will be joined by the UK, maybe Italy and France. But did NATO need such an exercise? Fresh action plans in the present geostrategic context? Of course it did, because it is a follow-up, says Harry Bukurmarku, expert in security politics. There was the latest NATO summit in which the incumbent Supreme Allied Commander General Cavoli presented a document of thousands of pages about how to turn those decisions made during the summit into military power. And mainly in military action capabilities if Russia continued this belligerent attitude against Europe in general. This big exercise is the natural continuation of the procedures through which we go from the political decision to military planning and then to exercising military power. Although the documents do not mention the name of Russia, Steadfast Defender is unfolding in an important moment, the pundits say, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The exercise does not mention the name of Russia because it is a scenario which does not refer to a specific enemy. That means it is a fictitious enemy creating this scenario. However, there is no secret that the drill involves the participation of two commands explicitly set up in 2018 and 2019 to face the increasingly hostile attitude of Russia. So no one waited for February 2022 to take measures against Russia's aggressive stand. Even during the mandate of the former US president, serious steps were taken to make it very clear to Russia that what it did in 2014 in Crimea was unacceptable and it could not carry on like that. Now, they exercised the capabilities of the US Second Fleet, which was re-established also in the wake of Russia's aggressive attitude four or five years ago. So they are trying the ability of this fleet to cross the Atlantic and make it to Europe and deploy troops where needed. It is a war simulation more than that of a crisis situation, a simulation of a military conflict involving the commands which have trained in the past years to be able to lead such like maneuvers. And there is also a test in terms of integration. We are speaking about five areas to lead combat operations, including space and cyberspace, besides the classical ones, land, ground and air. And this is something new, says Hari Bukurmarku. This is Radio Romania International. Cultural event. Welcome, I'm Rakanara Smyan and today I'll talk about how to culturally capitalize on the industrial heritage. In the 1970s, 1980s, buildings that belonged to disused industrial platforms began to be reconverted for cultural purposes. They have become either museums or artistic centers. In Romania, following the cessation of activity in many factories and plants, 
The industrial compounds were in many cases abandoned and in others demolished for the purpose of exclusively capitalizing on the land. The few examples of this immovable heritage being reused for cultural purposes have been recently analyzed in the work Historical Industrial Architecture Possibilities for Sustainable Recovery, the Timisoara case, published by the ACS Publishing House and written by the architect Raluca Maria Trifa. Here she is next with details. Unfortunately, things are not going very well in Romania. There are a few examples of buildings and industrial compounds that have been refurbished that I list in the book. And I will mention the former industrial water plant, which became an educational center, the former Ursen water plant, which became a water museum. And I would also mention the former Azur paint factory, which has become a cultural center, Faber. There is also the public transport museum, organized in one of the former buildings of the tram depot on Takeyonescu Boulevard, and which should have become a mega cultural project, an educational center for art and technology. But this, unfortunately, has not happened. These were all the examples of projects from Timisoara, said Raluca Maria Trifa. But what is the situation in Bucharest, another massively industrialized city during communism? Raluca Maria Trifa is back at the microphone. Even here, the industrial heritage was not very well capitalized on, although there have been a few attempts. And I will mention the Wolf Industrial Compound, the platform bordering the Carol Park, where one of the buildings now shelters a club well known to the Bucharest public and where concerts are held from time to time. Another example is the commodity exchange, but which again partially benefited from rehabilitation. In fact, the main body went through such a process. For the rest, I wouldn't necessarily say that Bucharest industrial heritage has received special attention. Let's look at the Laminor house, which is being used, but not necessarily in the happiest form, I would say. Let's also look at the former Grivica or Luther Brewery, which unfortunately lost a large part of the buildings on the compound. And the three that are still standing have not yet been refurbished. This is the situation in Bucharest, said Raluca Maria Trifa. So what can be done or how can disused industrial heritage spaces be capitalized on culturally? Starting from the case of Timisoara, Raluca Maria Trifa addressed the issue in her book Historical Industrial Architecture, Possibilities for Sustainable Recovery, the case of Timisoara. The idea is that uh, when they intervene on an industrial compound and most of the buildings are demolished, as is currently happening, the industrial compound loses its coherence. Therefore, besides the values we lose, I mean the cultural or artistic values stored in the buildings on the industrial site, we lose the testimony and symbols that belong to this type of heritage, said Raluca Maria Trifa in the end of cultural event. Next in this program, sports. Welcome to Sports Weekend with me, Eugen Nasta. Romania's men's tennis team in Athens this coming weekend goes against the national team of Greece in a play of confrontation counting towards maintaining the position in Davis Cup's World Group 1. 
For the match against Greece, Romania's lineup is made of Marius Copil, Nicolas David Ionel, Cesar Crețu, Luca Preda, and Victor Corna. ATP 265th placed Ionel and WT 294th placed Copil are the Romanian lineup's best placed tennis players according to the men's singles rankings. In the men's doubles, best place is Victor Corna, ranking 65th of the Greek team. Best place is WT number 7, Stefanos Tsitsipas. In the Davis Cup, Romania and Greece have twice gone against one another before. In 1933, in the Europe Zone's second round in Athens, Greece won 4-1. In 1917, Bucharest, Romania won 5-0 in a confrontation counting towards the Europe Zone's quarterfinals. Iliana Stase, Ion Tsiriak, Viorel Marco and Sever Mureșan were Romania's tennis players back then in the men's singles confrontation against Greece. Iliana Stase and Ion Tsiriak proved their mettle in the men's doubles. This coming weekend we'll see matches being played, counting towards the 12th round as part of the women's EHF Champions League. In Group A on Saturday, CSM Bucharest play an away fixture against top-of-the-table team Hungary's Gyur, which has 11 points and a simple number of matches played. CSM are third-placed after six wins and four defeats. In Group B on Saturday, Rapid play a home game against Ferenc Varos Budapest. Vice-champions Rapid are seventh-placed, while Ferenc Varos sixth with three wins each. The first two teams in each group play straight in the quarter-finals, while third, fourth, fifth and sixth-placed teams will prove their medal in the playoffs for a place in the quarter-finals. Three Romanian teams play in Europe's second-tier competition, the EHF European League. On Saturday in Group D, CSM Turguziu play a home game against Norway's Sola. After the first three rounds, CSM Turguzi were unable to add a point to their record sheet. In Croatia on Sunday, Dunera Breila faced Group B's bottom-of-the-table team, Lokomotiva Zagreb. With four points, Dunera Breila are the runner-up team in the group after Thuringer of Germany. And that's all from Sports Today. You can also access our sports items at rri.o and on Facebook. Listening to Radio Romania International. Welcome to Music Highlights. I'm Eugen Nasta. We have prepared for today a fine choice of pieces performed by distinguished cellist and music academic Anka Bartolome. To begin with, here is a fine piece composed by Liviu Danciano. Accompanying Anka Bartolome is the Archaeus Musical Ensemble.
ne stăpăcim pe Domnul. Se nu zi de cuci, de exile de somnul, păcatului de moarte, lucrărilor de șarte. Dar el că vreau și cel vicar maschez răul în bine. Sporită-ți e mândria, iar în insula parte. Nu încerc de lumină, eu urc cu nericime, ci când poate să mai iad mai luminos ca tine. Dar o lumină falsă, căci acum tot te cheamă, iluzii să te vească. Tu, împărat de paie, arzând printre cuvinte, tu împărățește dară, mai mult printre morminte, ori din mizeră baie, să cureți soaie, primindu-ți vorbele lucară. We end music highlights today with an excerpt from Sextuplum by Stefan Niculescu. Accompanying Anka Bartolome is again the Arkeus Ensemble.
Living Romania. Coming up next in this broadcast, stay tuned for Artscape. Hello and welcome to a new edition of Artscape. I'm your host, Cristina Mateescu, and today we're traveling to New York for the opening of an exhibition and book launch to commemorate Holocaust Remembrance Day. Stay tuned to find out more. To mark International Holocaust Remembrance Day on the 27th of January, the Romanian Cultural Institute in New York hosted a special event to commemorate the Yash pogrom of June 1941, in which 13,000 members of the city's Jewish population were killed. This painful episode in the history of Romania's Jewish community was recounted through a photo exhibition and the launch of a book of short stories entitled Ten Stories, the Yash Pogrom. 
For the book, ten well-known Romanian authors were commissioned to write a short story, inspired by a photograph of their choosing from the collection of the Yash Pogrom Museum, while the photo exhibition brings together photographs taken during the massacre and depicting the harrowing events that took place in 1941. However, no information has been preserved indicating who took them and why. Some researchers believe they were taken by employees of the very institutions that carried out the killings, or by German soldiers. The photographs were kept in the secret archives of the Romanian army and discovered after World War II, some of them resurfacing in private collections from Israel and elsewhere. The pogrom in Yash was masterminded from the very top of the Romanian government, led by Marshal Ion Antonescu, an ally of Hitler's Germany and carried out by Romanian and German army units, with the help of the civilian population. At the time, more than half of the city's population was Jewish. Approximately 13,000 people were killed over the course of three days, between the 27th and the 29th of June. This served as the prelude to what many historians regard as the Romanian version of the final solution, beginning in July 1941 and ending in 1942, involving deportations to Transnistria, in which a quarter of a million Romanian and Ukrainian Jews, together with members of other minorities, perished. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Professor Dirk Moses, an Australian historian of genocide who attended the exhibition and book launch hosted by the Romanian Cultural Institute in New York, described the wider historical context in which the Yash pogrom took place. He explained the peculiarity of the Romanian case. When we talk about pogroms, it's usually in terms of bottom-up violence that percolates from the local population, and the state stands back and does it happen. But in this case, we seem to be talking about state-orchestrated operations, right? In which the population of bystanders with some assistance. In any event, you know, these kind of operations by the state obviously were prevalent and extensive throughout East Central Europe, whether under German occupation or with German authorities, or sometimes without them. Now, you get varying permutations of these kind of relationships across East Central Europe, as the front changed between German and Soviet occupation. So in, in Lithuania, for example, and in the Baltic states generally, which had been under Soviet rule, but when the, when the Nazis came through in 41, the you know, local Baltic nationalists accused the, the Jewish population of being pro-Soviet, and I think you get similar dynamics in Romania, right? of being pro-Soviet, and then took the opportunity to murder them. And the Germans were very happy about that. Okay? So it was kind of a joint operation. But the energy, once again, came from local nationalists. Professor Dirk Moses went on to explain that these purges had to do with a particular vision of the nation, in which certain minorities are seen as disloyal and dangerous. These kind of events are usually taking place during military conflict, in which, particularly in the Romanian case, you have these fluctuating borders and you know, different occupation regimes. And in those contexts, you know, after you, a state reoccupies a territory, they think, and this is happening now in Ukraine and in the Russian context, like who collaborated with the people who occupied our territory for a year or two, however long was it? So this is looking for collaborators. So there's this constant paranoia about loyalty and disloyalty. And 
throughout modern history in this region, Jewish communities were caught up as Roman communities as well, because they had, you know, in the eyes of the Christian nationalists, had a transnational presence uh, and identity, and could be, you know, thereby disloyal and dangerous and threatening. Now that accompanied and energized traditional Christian anti-Jewish stereotypes. But once again, we need to put those into nation-building contexts. There was a nation-building project in Romania since the middle of the 19th century, as there was in Slovakia, as there was in neighboring states. It's not unique, right? And for the, if you like, the right-wing Christian nationalist version of that project, there was no place for minorities, especially Jews, but also the minorities of your neighboring state. Translated into English by Mircea Laszlo and first published in 2023 as part of the International Festival of Literature in Translation editorial project, the book comprises ten stories by the Romanian authors Adrian Cioroianu, Bogdan Kosha, Florin Irimia, Radu Pavel Geo, Marin Bajaiku Hondrari, Catalin Mihulak, Alina Nelega, Cristian Teodorescu, Tatiana Tsibulak and Miruna Vlada. The texts inspired by the photographs documenting the Yash pogrom of June 1941 demonstrate the literary potential of images captured during such tragic events. Blending autobiographical elements and historical research, the ten stories are fictionalized accounts of real events. And fiction, says Professor Dirk Moses, has the ability, more so than history, to inspire empathy for the victims. It's so important to try every different route to preserve memory and to awaken and stimulate empathy so that young people today not only know what happened, but have empathy with the victims. You know, I've seen now, for example, with far-right nationalists in Germany, which is something I work on, but they don't deny the Holocaust. But they say, well, you know, this doesn't really affect the broad arc of German history. You know, German history is immune to this moment. Uh, and it doesn't have any consequences for us today. And when they speak like that, you can see that their empathy, if you like, is for their German grandparents, their Christian grandparents during the war, were instead of with their victims. Now, one of the achievements of German memory culture over the last 30, 40 years is that many Germans have understood that they should be empathetic with the victims of their grandparents rather than with their grandparents. Now, that's quite rare for a nation state. The norm is that people empathize with their family stories and more generally with the nation, which is seen as kind of a big tribal family. And there are people, perhaps in this room, who have intense affective relationships to the national past and think of it in terms of honor, glory, and so forth. And if historians come along with these pesky facts and elicit empathy for the victims, this provokes in them emotional resistance and they feel perhaps shame and anger that their glorious nation and its glorious history is being impugned. But the facts are the facts. But one needs more than that. One needs empathy. And literature is much better than history in allowing us to enter the interior lives of, of people. And so I think you need both.
In 2021, to commemorate 80 years since the Yash pogrom, the Pogrom Museum in Yash was officially opened, in partnership with the Elie Wiesel National Institute for the Study of the Romanian Holocaust. It is hosted by a former police station on Alexandri Street, where scenes of unimaginable cruelty took place towards the city's Jewish population. The exhibition at the Romanian Cultural Institute in New York provides a further opportunity to remember this shocking chapter in Romania's history. It stays open at the Institute's Brâncuș Gallery until mid-February. Well, that's it for this edition of Artscape. Until next time, from me, Cristina Mateescu, it's goodbye. Focus on Romania. Coming up next on Radio Romania International. Simply Folk. Leontina Dorca is a gifted traditional music vocalist from Maramures, a very picturesque area in northern Romania. Here she is now at the microphone with a lively dance tune from her native area. Chatar is 
And with that, our broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa has come to an end. You can listen to our next programme for Western Europe at 1800 hours UTC on 11.630 kHz in the DRM system. Listeners in Africa can receive our programmes tomorrow at 1200 hours UTC on 21.470 kHz. We can also be heard on the internet at www.rri.ro channel 1. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write an email at engl at rri.ro. Goodbye.